Hi everyone. Welcome to the FPC Paris podcast, where we explore intersectional feminism through literature. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to the writer Sanae Lemoine, whose debut novel, The Margot Affair, was released in June of this year. The book is set in Paris and follows 17-year-old Margot, who struggles with being the secret daughter of a well-known French politician. Family ties are called into question as the line between private and public life becomes increasingly blurred for Margot and the adults around her. In part one of this two-part interview, Sanae and I talk about the book's inspiration, as well as the different female relationships that are represented throughout the novel. Hi, Sanae. Thank you so much for joining me on the FPC Paris podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Louise. No, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to speaking about your debut novel, The Margot Affair, which just was released in June 2020, just this year. Very exciting. I thought a kind of logical place to start would be where did the origin of this idea come from? Yes. Um, so I, I started writing the novel in 2012, so quite a while ago. And I had moved to New York six months before for graduate school. And the origin is actually quite personal, even though at the time I wasn't thinking about it that way. It, was, it wasn't the most conscious or directed decision. Um, the summer before I began writing the book, my father told me that he had been seeing another woman while married to my mother and that they had two sons together. So I, I discovered that I had these half-brothers that I'd never met. And of course now the parallels between this personal story and the novel seem so obvious, but at the time I didn't think I'm going to write a book about what I'm going through or what I'm feeling or this idea of a double family even or, or a secret family. And in fact, I was circling around these themes quite a bit at first. I was writing the book not from the, the narrator's point of view, Margot, but from um, a secondary character, Brigitte, or even a classmate of hers. And so I think, if anything, I was... I was going around the themes and, and the secret family. And then there was a moment when um, an editor friend of mine was describing my novel back to me. She had read an early version and she was talking about it in terms of the secret family and um, the father having two families and Margot being at the center of this and how it must be really difficult for her. Um, and that's kind of when it clicked. Oh, this is what the book is about, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, because before I had been thinking more about the, the, the female friendships, the, the themes of, of, um, of, of Margot and her father, you know, I wasn't thinking about it in terms of like that necessarily that central conflict. And I think part of it is that when my dad told me about, about um, this other family, it, it was very much a secret and he asked me to keep the secret. Um, and I didn't talk about it very much. And so even in writing about it, it had to be done in this very sort of almost indirect way or what I felt was indirect. But then I wanted to dramatize and heighten the emotions. And so, yeah. you know, Margot um, is the daughter of a stage actress and her father is an ambitious politician. And, you know, it's it's um, a story that has 
more drama than just kind of a, a private family story, even though I think it's very much about the family unit behind closed doors. For sure. While the, the careers of Margot's parents mean that they are very much in the public eye, absolutely, this novel really deals with those relationships and tensions, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, very much like literally within Parisian apartments. But I found that there was another really important um, relationship in the book, which was with Anouk, who is Margot's mother. But Margot definitely sees her as an unconventional mother. I just wondered, because this causes a lot of resentment throughout the book, and there were times when I didn't know whether to laugh or cry, because Mm. they just had these back and forth, you know, they know how to push each other's buttons. (laughs) And... Um, I just wondered how that was for you as a writer mm-hmm. to write this particular mother-daughter relationship. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that, that um, that's something that, that moved you and that you picked up on. Because it's true that when I, was, when I started writing the novel or in the earlier drafts, I was thinking a lot about Margot's relationship with her father. Mm. Um, and I was delving into those emotions. And the book is about that. But, um, but it really at its heart is about Anouk and um, Margot's mother and their relationship. And I think when, when I think about the journey of the novel and the various iterations it took, um, there, there is a, a parallel with, with my journey with, with my mother and also just like the journey of going from my early 20s to my late 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, I... When, when I first started writing the book, um, my mother and I w- were in a difficult place. And as the years went on, we, we opened up a lot more to each other. And I started to better understand, even though there's so much I still don't understand and see, I started to better understand her relationship with, with my dad and, um, and, and how it affected our family dynamics. And so that is something that, you know, as I think I, I began, I was able to be more forgiving with with her and myself that really um, infused the relationship between my two characters with, I hope, like a tenderness and a heart that I don't think was there in the earlier versions. And so much of the novel is about Margot seeking her mother's love and affirmation, really, and doubting it and not knowing whether she is loved and whether her mother cares for her. And from the beginning, my thinking is like, of course she does. Of course Anouk loves her and it is unconditional. But um, so much of it is just like Margot needing to be persuaded of that. Um, And I wanted to convey that, but through gestures. You know, I I didn't want there to be a scene at the end where Anouk says, I love you or, you know, I you're wrong, Margot, but I hoped that Margot would be left with the feeling that her mother will defend her and take her side no matter what ha- what she does or what happens. And so for me, it was really a matter of, of like on a personal level and then on, on the level of the novel getting to that place where I, where I could believe that for the characters. And I, I mean, I, I'm always drawn to mother-daughter relationships. <laughs> it's really like Ah, it, I just have such a soft spot for those stories. And even um, not so long ago, I was rereading a French novel um, by Delphine de Vigan, Rien ne s'oppose à la nuit. You know, it, I wouldn't say it's, it's my favorite book in the world or um, in terms necessarily of, of, of the writing style, or, but the story to me is just, 
it, it's so emotional. And every time I read the ending, I cry, even though I, I know what's coming. Because it's a, it's a relationship that's so fraught between a mother and daughter, much more than, than in my novel. And you really wonder whether the mother is capable of, of loving her daughter or, um, you know, and maybe other readers would have a different interpretation. But there's a detail at the end um, that for me is so revealing of the mother's love. And it just, each time it gets me. And so I hoped to have a little bit of that in this book, um, this like uncertainty of, of what, what um, the mother is feeling and but but then like this sense of belonging and of oh yes you are my parent and you're there for me and you're providing safety in my early 20s I was thinking about uh, Margot as a daughter and and her mother as as the adult in the relationship and then as I was getting closer to my 30s I started thinking more about Anouk and her choices as a parent, why she, why she had Margot with a man who was married, like how did that happen to begin yeah. with, and what, what choices we make around becoming a parent. Everything made sense, like the way that you wrote, I thought the ending, trying to keep it spoiler free, but <laughs> I think the ending was very kind of true to the characters and how they had evolved over that 12-month period within the book. But I think something that I really appreciated was that we saw uh, Margot's father's wife, so his public wife and, you know, the mother of his children. And I really loved, it was very brief, um, but I really loved those scenes between her and Margot. um, And I thought it was really lovely that you kind of gave her. she was part of it you know yeah. she was involved in the story and that she wasn't just kind of a side note or a footnote um I very much appreciated that I think thank you those those were actually in a way the most difficult and painful to write because I think mm-hmm. they hit closer to home maybe in a sense of, of having to really imagine what that felt like so yeah moving moving from this mother-daughter relationship to another important connection relationship that Margot forms in the book that is completely separate from her father and her mother like they never actually really know about her uh, and Margot's friendship with Mm. Brigitte um so just very quickly Brigitte is the wife slash partner of David Mm -hmm. Uh, David the journalist who first teases this kind of the truth of Margot's heritage out of her Mm -hmm. And Brigitte is his, yeah, wife partner. She's a successful ghostwriter. So I found this dynamic absolutely fascinating and it almost deserves, you know, its own podcast episode. (laughs) How, you know, did you think about, like, how things turned out for Brigitte? I I wanted it to to be quite ambiguous as to whether Brigitte... um, had had planned how things would pan out with Margot. And I think at the end of the day, her desires and intentions are actually quite muddled and confused. Mm. And she doesn't really know. I mean, she believes that she's in control of her life, that she's older, more experienced th- than Margot. Yeah. But um, at the same time, life never goes to plan, or rarely it does. And I hope that that would come through, especially there's a confrontation between the two of them um, close to the end of the, the novel. And in earlier versions, it was, it was more clear cut as to what her intentions were. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized, you know, it, it really, it's not 
it's not obvious. Um, she and, and Brigitte doesn't know for herself what she really wanted. I think there's a combination yeah. of genuine curiosity and affection for Margot and mentorship where she recognizes herself. Um, she also sees how Margot's energy infuses the relationship with excitement, her marriage with excitement. And so yeah. I think there she wouldn't probably be able to articulate it early on, but she's playing with fire and testing the limits of, of what might happen with Margot yeah. um, without really, you know, thinking about what the outcome would be and how she would feel about that outcome. Yeah. Um, at the same time, there is envy and resentment because Margot, although Margot doesn't see it necessarily because she's short-sighted or nearsighted, um, Brigitte and Margot come from very different spaces and from different classes and Margot has had the privilege of a very educated home and um, of, of access to everything that she needs, I guess aside from a, a present father maybe um, or a conventional family unit, but in terms of, of comfort and, and education, um, she has that so much more than Brigitte feels she ever did. And so I think I wanted that to kind of always be simmering under the surface of their exchanges, just like to have to give it an edge as opposed to them ha uh, having outright conversations about, um, about, let's say, money, which, which would be on French, perhaps. But, you know, um, yeah, like, like they, Brigitte would never say it outright, but, but it's there, you know, and you, and you sense, you sense that difference and how it colors their exchanges. And I, I, I hoped that despite Brigitte's manipulation and, and the games that she plays, whether conscious or unconscious, we, we would also see her vulnerabilities and her cracks and how mm -hmm. there's so much uncertainty and we see that especially in terms of her feelings towards motherhood. And, you know, um, Margot is afraid early on of, of being like her mother. You know, she rejects that. She wants to be different from her mother. And I think a lot of teenagers have that instinct. But the novel is about her coming to terms with that and, and um, what her mother as a role model can provide. Whereas, like, Brigitte, by the end, you know, I don't want this to be too much of a spoiler, but she says... Okay. Um, she says, you know, perhaps I might turn into my mother. And that is very loaded. We know that we know that they had it was a very dark relationship. And and uh, that's okay. when when I feel like she's probably not going to be OK, maybe one day, yeah. but not right after this book ends. Right. For sure. And I think, you know, again, like Brigitte was what so well developed that you could see how layered she was okay ob obviously Paris the model <laughs> in Paris I thought that like all those small everyday details of living in Paris were really what came through you know to me and I think would come through to any reader whether they've lived like me in Paris for you know a decade or just kind of visited the country on holiday Paris is a city that has been written about a lot um so discovering Margot's Paris was um felt really special um there were like familiar pointers such as you know the Luxembourg Gardens mm -hmm. but there were also those kind of you know 
the the local bistro cafe opposite Margot's school that she goes to with her high school friend Juliette who I really liked um (laughs) just off of Rue Martyr kind of like Sophie Pigalle Mm -hmm. uh even Belleville makes an appearance Mm um I suppose you know it's, it's hard just to ask one question but maybe you could talk to us a little bit about your personal relationship with Paris and um, you know, Margot has her 17-year-old Paris world. What is your Paris world like? <laughs> yeah, that, no, that's um, that's a great question. I mean, I'm always embarrassed to, to say that I really, I didn't live in Paris for that long. I was born there, but we left when I was four, and then we moved back to France when I was 12, but we moved into the suburbs I don't know what term to use because it's not really the suburbs, but um, about 30 minutes west right. of Paris on the on the RRA. And mm. so it meant that um, I wasn't spending a ton of time in Paris throughout middle school and high school, though we'd go on weekends with my friends to watch, mostly to watch movies. Um, <laughs> but we really wouldn't go that much further than the Champs-Élysées because that's what was closest and most accessible. Yeah. We'd stay on the RER. We didn't need to get on the metro. And I, I'd go to other neighborhoods a little bit with my parents. Um, the Jardin de Luxembourg had had a symbolic meaning to me because my my dad would take me there a lot um, when I was when when we lived in in France. Um, so when I was very young, I don't really have that many memories of that. But he would talk about it so much that it um, it became a, a place um, that I associated with with comfort and childhood and kind of this this other time in my life. And then I did get to know the city better because my dad moved to the six um, when after my parents got divorced. And so he lived actually very close to the Jardin Luxembourg for two years. Yeah. And, um, and then I always had summer jobs in Paris that would bring me back there. And that's when I really got to know the city and started to walk around and it's funny, I would always tell myself, okay, I'm going to go to museums this time around. I have three months in Paris, like I'm actually going to visit things. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what I should be doing as a 20-year-old. But the thing that I just wanted to do was walk around the streets. And I would walk for hours and hours and from one neighborhood to the other. You really can do that in Paris in a way that you can't in New York be- as easily because the distances are, are longer and and. It's Paris is a very pleasant. It's very walkable. It's very pleasant for pedestrians, and I just I, I wanted to um, infuse the novel really with with that sense of wandering. Like there are quite a few scenes where Margot is just walking from one area to another, and the things that she'll notice, you know, whether it's the monoprix or the bridge, or you know, they're not like elements that that are I hope like super touristy. They're really the things that you feel when you're when you're living there. Um, yeah. the landmarks that you create and and that's what I wanted to convey you know the smell of roasted chicken from a butcher on the street like the sounds um, the school children who come out like at 4 p.m um, on the street oh just talking about it is is making me miss friends New York is is just has such a different energy and there's yeah I I really wanted to channel that that difference and what I feel yeah when I'm back in France but in a way that that felt really authentic and true to Margot's experience which is one of of um, of a girl who's who's lived there her entire life and you know is kind of unfazed by 
the monuments. Like she's not really thinking about that. No. And yeah. And she knows like she can navigate herself around the city as well. Like it just all feels very kind of natural and organic, you know? Um, yeah, I, th- I thought that was, you know, beautifully uh, executed and it's lovely to kind of hear your your experience with Paris. Do you, because I know, as you've just explained, you were born in Paris, came back here kind of like for high school. You were also in Australia when you were younger. You're now in um, Brooklyn. Do you, do you feel like you can bring bits of your French side or your Australian side? Um, c- can you find like pockets of your... Mm kind of multi-layered identity um, in in Brooklyn or do you prefer to kind of keep you know not keep them separate but just I don't know (laughs) yeah that's interesting you know I think I probably keep them more separate than than Mm -hmm. I I had realized Um, my husband's French so we speak in a combination of French and English at home um, which I think makes it feel like there's always a little bit of France, you know, in in our home life. And there are a couple of places in New York that I love to visit, such as Albertine, the French bookstore on the Upper East Side, which is so beautiful. I wish it was closer to to where we are, but um, I was ordering books from them actually um, in, in March and April and May. So that, that was so nice to have to, you know, I felt like I, I needed to stock up on French books because I didn't know when I, when I'd be going back to France. Um, and then I really love, uh, the Maison Française at Columbia University as well. They have a lot of great events that are open to the public. And then in, I, I, there, this is maybe because I, I just am obsessed with, with um baked goods and pastries but there's this there's this um french uh bakery in bushwick that i am obsessed with and and i will often go there to get pastries i think they just make the best (gasps) croissant and so so that's kind of my my way of connecting but otherwise i think i mean i've been so lucky to be able to go back you know until this year it did feel quite accessible and I, I could stay with my in-laws um, and I have family in Bretagne, so there was always that connection. The days grew shorter and sometimes I awoke in pitch blackness, thinking the city had vanished overnight. It was hard to imagine others alive when our building was so still. Then I'd hear our neighbors waking, their alarms going off, the music from a radio drifting into the courtyard, light warming a curtain to transparency. They aired out the night. It was comforting to hear proof of their aliveness. I listened for the clink of a fork scraping against our ceramic plate. These familiar sounds accompanied me when I felt distanced from my mother, when I worried father wouldn't return. Such was the nature of hope, believing that change wasn't swift and dramatic, that certain routines were immutable. After school at Juliette's, we would make bowtie pasta for dinner. She measured the pasta into two bowls and threw it into a small pot of boiling water. We ate it with melted butter, grated cheese from a bag, and tiny squares of ham she'd cut directly in the packaging. One Friday night, after we had finished eating, I washed our dishes and placed them to dry on a folded dish towel next to the sink, while Juliette poured us two glasses of wine. We didn't usually drink just the two of us, but tonight we were going to a party in the 8th arrondissement, at the apartment of an acquaintance from school. 
Everyone in our class was invited. I drank the wine while Juliette changed into a dress. It was blue, tied along the waist with loose sleeves. The material stretched across her hips like a surgeon's glove. I was dismayed by my own outfit, jeans and an old blouse made of a synthetic material. I asked her to spray me with perfume. You don't need to wear a dress, she said. The boys stare at you anyway. When Juliette gave me a compliment, it sometimes felt like she was dismissing me and measuring herself against me, maybe so I put less effort into my appearance. We were both aware that our friendship wasn't always pure. She was much shorter than I was, with narrower hips and shoulders, and her petite frame made boys want to circle their arms around her. We slipped on our shoes and left her studio. The exhilaration of being free, even for a few hours, was powerful enough to bury whatever turmoil we both felt beneath the surface. It had been seven weeks since I'd last spoken to father. Juliette and I walked down the street arm in arm, our heels tapping on the pavement and echoing against the buildings. Perhaps we weren't popular, and no one described us as beautiful at school, but we had life, our youth, and not a single thought of mortality. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Do feel free to like, share, subscribe to the podcast, and you can follow us on Instagram at the FPC Paris. For all details related to Book Club, please check out our website, www.thefpcparis.com. In the show notes, you can find where to buy The Margot Affair, as well as where to follow Sanae on social media and all of the books or articles referenced throughout the episode. Thanks!